0: So I am going to start in Genesis.) I have been a bit all about Genesis for the last 12 months, it's true. I blame Bergman, because when at Bergman, my year nine and 10s, we started Genesis, and I never really left there after last February. Um, so start in Genesis three. Small people who are making lots of noise. We're starting in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. It's super noisy. I'm not sure why, but I feel like this is Jess's fault. So I'm going to start in Genesis (laughs) chapter three, verse one to five. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This little scene here in Genesis 3, this is the first marketing campaign in history. The serpent has a very simple pitch. He says, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This is exactly the same pitch um, style that we get today. When you watch television, this deodorant will attract all the ladies. You know, it's true. This makeup will make you beautiful. This car will make you powerful. This outfit will make people respect you. These things will make you happy. Eve, your eyes are not open. You're not like God. You are not enough. You are not really happy. You think you have everything. But really what you need is that fruit. You won't be fulfilled until you have that piece of fruit. So even though she was living in a literal paradise designed to exactly meet all of her needs, she was still susceptible to a marketing campaign that said she didn't have enough and that she wasn't smart enough, and that she could be more and have more and be happier if she only had the one thing that she was not allowed. This is the fundamental weakness of humanity. We think obtaining the things that we don't have and don't need will somehow make us happier. Even when our Creator tells us explicitly that that thing is not good for us and will make us die, we think it's the only thing that can make us happy. We are really easily deceived by shiny, ripe, new stuff. It was true in the Garden of Eden, and it's been true all through history, and it's true today. The entire marketing industry exists to tell you that you are not happy. If you were happy, you would stop buying stuff. Capitalism would fail if you thought you were happy. So there is an endless stream of advertising designed to deceive you into believing that stuff will fulfill you and satisfy you, make you sexy, smart and wise, bring you happiness and joy and fill the empty place inside. And if you believe this noise coming from our capitalistic society, you would think that money is then the solution to anxiety, depression, fear and loneliness. But even though we all on some level, understand that a new watch or car or boat or phone or holiday or degree or house or conquest isn't really going to satisfy us and bring us joy, we still are deceived into this way of thinking. The sales pitch that was a lie in the garden is still a lie today. And the fall of humanity into sin and death was preceded by this advertising campaign to convince Eve that she wasn't good enough. Now, When we listen to ads now, we very rarely say to ourselves when we're watching an ad for an ice cream with gorgeous people, you know, eating ice creams, we rarely think, um, oh, well, I'm not happy without that and my life's not good enough without that. But subtly, that's what it's doing. We are subtly being manipulated moment by moment into thinking that we could be happier or better or more fulfilled if we had the things that we don't have. The World Health Organization... Uh, does a a thing a survey thing and it estimates that 1.3 million Australians which is just short of six percent of the population that's just that 1.3 million Australians which is five point nine percent of our population are experiencing a depressive disorder and that one point. So that was 1.3. And 1.6 million Australians, which is 7% of our population, have an anxiety disorder. We are constantly walking around feeling discontent. Because we don't feel contented, we're not thankful. And because we're not thankful, we are less happy. I want to read you uh, a series of verses. Three from... um, one and two Thessalonians and a verse from Corinthians and a verse from Colossians. They say this, the first one is, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been been given to you in Christ Jesus. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful And the last one uh, from 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18 simply says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And there were three verses from the, the books of Thessalonians there, and they're not encouragements, they're commands. They're not encouragements, they're not things that are, these are advisable actions. They are commands to give thanks. But here's the really important distinction here. It does not say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. That's a really big difference. It doesn't say give thanks when you have cancer. Cancer's crap. It doesn't say give thanks when you get a flat tire. It doesn't say give thanks when you're struggling in your relationships or when you're run out of money or when things aren't going right. It doesn't say to give thanks for all of those circumstances. It says to give thanks in the midst of those circumstances. God doesn't expect us to celebrate grief and loss or trauma. He's not a sociopath that wants us to be happy in miserable circumstances. When we grieve, God grieves with us. When we despair, he experiences that with us because he loves us and he cares for us. But in the midst of those experiences we can still choose to rise above those circumstances and give thanks. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these things, he's not a bloke that had an easy life. He's not a guy that's saying, well, from my lofty tower of great wealth and happiness and all of my great joy and easy life, he's a guy that had a pretty crappy hand dealt to him. He had challenges. He had problems. He was locked up and beaten and they tried to behead him and he got shipwrecked. And here is a guy whose life kind of sucked. And he's the guy who's saying in all of this, I give thanks. He knew the secret to contentment and happiness despite his circumstances. He had an attitude of gratitude that made all the difference. Um, Greg Boyd preached the message called The Secret that I'm totally ripping off uh, and he quoted from three different studies about the impact of gratitude and I want to read um, those thoughts for you because I think that it's really important. So the first one was from um, a guy named Robert Emmons, uh, a doctor, uh, a psychologist I suspect, who conducted a 10 week study and he took 411 random people and put them into three groups. And the first group were asked to write down anything they were thankful for throughout the course of 10 weeks. Those in the second group were to write down anything that irritated them through the 10 weeks. And the third group was to write down anything that affected them for the better or for the worse. Now, after 10 weeks, the third group had no change in their overall happiness. The second group became less happy than they had been prior to the study. And the first group, though, unsurprisingly, had incredible benefits. The thankful group noticed an overall increase of personal happiness. They were more optimistic. They had less anxiety, less stress. They slept more at night. They experienced an increase in empathy. The quality of their relationships got better. In every possible way, simply recording things that they were grateful for for 10 weeks had a profound effect on their experience of life and the next one was a psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania named Martin Seligman uh, who studied the effects of gratitude on happiness and he asked participants to recall events from their past where somebody impacted them positively pretty straightforward and then they were asked to write a letter expressing thankfulness to that person so not just to muse upon their the, how they were thankful but to actually write that down and deliver that letter to the person they were thankful to, regardless of how long ago that positive experience or events took place. And the participants recorded uh, that the experiences were so powerful in terms of the extra happiness and joy and contentment that they were still resonating with them a full month later. That one experience of sharing their gratitude a full month later was still having a positive impact on their life. And the third study, um, which I think is probably the most challenging, uh, looked at 65 adults that had severe muscular disease. So we're talking about people who are in a very uncomfortable life uh, that separated, separated them into two groups. And over 21 days, the first group were instructed to make observations about their disease, their health, and their sense of well-being and record them. And the second group was to record everything that they were grateful for. So the first group just recorded their conditions and the second group recorded everything they were grateful for. And during this time, the caregivers were also instructed to monitor them and make observations about their progress. And at the end of the study, not only did those who wrote down their thankful thoughts, um, not only were they happier themselves, but their caregivers also noticed a huge bump in emotional and psychological vitality as well. Gratitude literally brings about physical changes in your body. It changes you chemically, it changes you muscularly, it changes, it does something to you that brings about contentment, that brings about healing, that brings about greater life satisfaction. In all of these cases, the groups that had more gratitude exercised more and slept better and were more optimistic. It had a profound life change. Gratitude literally brings health and happiness and satisfaction. Here's the thing, though. If gratitude is part of the cure, entitlement is part of the disease. Entitlement is when we have a right to something or we perceive that we have a right to something, when we believe that we inherently deserve a privilege or special treatment. What happens when we're entitlement is it completely undermines our happiness because when we believe that we are owed something or that we deserve something or that we have a right to it, we're far less likely to be thankful when we receive it because we deserve it. Because it's what we should already be given. So when we feel entitled to something, it doesn't give us the same benefit as when we feel thankful for it. Not just entitlement, but whininess and gossip and complaining and bitterness. These things are poison to your soul. Now, I know all of us, and I'm super guilty of this. We have like certain friends or spaces where we're like, well, I'm just going to gossip with this person or whinge about this. Uh, You know, this is my safe space. Well, you don't find a safe space to commit self harm. And that's what gossip does to you. That's what this bitterness and this whininess and this complaining does. It actually harms you. Now, you might think it's about getting something off your chest, but all it's really doing is adding weight to your life. Take nothing for granted. Always give thanks, frequently, out loud, with action and generosity. The greater your expression of gratitude, the greater the experience of contentment that it will bring to your life. We have so much to be thankful for. And the reason that Paul encourages us to be thankful in all circumstances, he says it again and again. He says, I give thanks to my God. I will always give thanks to God. I must always give thanks to God. And be thankful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. He says this because he, despite challenging circumstances, has much to be thankful for. He understood that he was graciously, radically, redemptively saved by, by Jesus' actions on the cross. And he was thankful. And even when he faced challenging persecution, he said, this persecution will allow others to know of the glory of my God. So he was thankful in persecution. He was thankful in trial and challenge and in hardship. And when I think about the things that we whinge about and I think about the things that we gossip about and the things that we are petty and bitter about compared to the things that we... the overwhelming amount of things that we should be grateful for. I just realize that we are creating a cycle where we buy into that marketing campaign by the devil that says we're not enough, we don't have enough, we're not ever going to be happy. When great joy and great peace and great hope and great contentment and happiness are right there for us if we would simply have gratitude in our circumstances, not necessarily for our circumstances, but in our circumstances. In this community, more than any community, we have many things to be thankful for. In this country that we live in, and the safety and the security and the opportunities that we have, we have so much to be thankful for. I have some questions here that I would like us to go through. Maybe I'll put them up there. Uh, I have some homework. I have some questions for us to to think about now. I have some homework for us as well. Um, so I don't know if we can do two or three people in little clumps just to quickly run through these um, questions. Is that on? Hooray. Did it work? Is it big enough to read? <laughs> Cracking. Uh, reflection questions. So at your core, damn it, at you core, at your core, why not? Do you consider yourself a happy or unhappy person? and Why or why not? What areas of your life do you find it most difficult to be content in? How can you help remind yourself to notice things to be thankful for and say them out loud? What situations tend to pull you over into the negative talk? What areas of your life are you genuinely grateful for today? And things to do this week. Remember a significant person from your past that you were grateful for and write to them or call them to say thank you. Keep a gratitude diary for the next month. It takes like 21 days to develop a habit. You actually want to see um, significant benefit from the from the exercise of gratitude. You need to exercise it to start doing it this week. All right, this this month, well, uh, this, <laughs> this m- month Talitha <laughs> is wonderful. <laughs> I'm so grateful that she pointed that out. <laughs> exercise spoken gratitude every day. There's a big difference because often we think nice things, but we don't get the full payoff for that thinking nice thing until we exercise it. It's like thinking about going to the gym doesn't make you nearly as fit as actually going to the gym and exercising. You're on running shoes, I was looking so- <laughs> Listen, I didn't use those running shoes for so long that they actually started to fall apart just from disuse. Really? <laughs> well the thing is that I, I heard that if you practice things in your mind, it also helps you get better at them. It's strengthens those neural pathways. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm gonna think lots of exercisey thoughts. But more than that, I would like you to exercise your gratitude, not just contemplate your gratitude. Actually give thanks. There is, there is more that can be done and then you can get a greater benefit from it. Yeah, uh, so in your little twos or threes, let's just consider those reflection questions and then I don't know if you want to take a note of those other things. Maybe I will make a note and put it up on Facebook. you diary the next month, It'd be so fun to do that as a family. Like, sit down at dinner and, like, actually write down the things that we say. Ours would be very repetitive. Lego. Screens. Yeah. Nintendo. Once we get past those, it will be better. Yep. Alright, come on. Vegetarian sausages and stuff, no. think about. <laughs> <laughs> How, How hard are you to do? How hard